0: We are gathered this morning to worship God and remember the life of God's people, Israel. Israel was a nation of promise. After the Tower of Babel, God took a man named Abram and gave him a promise. God told this man that all nations would be blessed through his children But later, Abraham's children were slaves in Egypt. And through Moses, God rescued his people Israel. God gave them his very own laws. And he gave his people another promise. He told Israel, if they obeyed these laws, they would be blessed. And if they disobeyed these laws, they would be cursed. Eventually, God gave his people Israel a king, a shepherd boy from Bethlehem named David. And God gave this man a promise. He promised him a son who would sit on the throne of Israel forever. David's son Solomon was a good king, but he was not the one. Kings of Israel only got worse. It was so bad in the life of Israel that people went back to Egypt, the place of slavery, because they thought it would be better than the people of Israel. And today, friend, we are gathered here today because Babylon has destroyed Israel. And Israel is dead. And this is a funeral for God's people. Because the people of God are slaves again. And we must ask, what happened to the promise? In this book of tears, known as Lamentations, the prophet writes five funeral messages for the people of God. And he invites us to enter into their tears and their sorrows. And he invites us to ask the same questions and laments as we hope for a better day. With all that in mind, turn with me to the book of Lamentations. Lamentations chapter 1. If you want to use a a Bible in the back of the pew in front of you, you can turn to page 641. Lamentations chapter 1, we are going to read the first funeral message for the people of God. And consider how this took place. Starting in verse 1, Lamentations chapter 1. Friends, this is the word of God. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow she has become. She who was great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her, they have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and hard servitude. She dwells now among the nations but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn, for none come to the festival. All her gates are desolate, her priests groan, her virgins have been afflicted, and she herself suffers bitterly. Her foes have become the head, her enemies prosper, because the Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone away, captives before the foe. From the daughter of Zion, all her majesty has departed. Her princes have become like deer that find no pasture. They fled without strength before the pursuer. Jerusalem remembers in the days of her affliction and wandering all the precious things that were hers from days of old. When her people fell into the hand of the foe and there was none to help her, her foes gloated over her. They mocked at her downfall. Jerusalem sinned grievously. Therefore, she became filthy. All who honored her despised her. For they have seen her nakedness. She herself groans and turns her face away. Her uncleanness was in her skirts. She took no thought of her future. Therefore, her fall is terrible. She has no comforter. Oh, Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. The enemy has stretched out his hands over all her precious things. For she has seen the nations enter her sanctuary Those whom you forbade to enter your congregation, all her people groan as they search for bread. They trade their treasures for food to revive their strength. Look, O Lord, and see, for I am despised. Is it nothing to you, all who pass by? Look and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow, which was brought upon me, which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger. From on high he sent fire into my bones. He made it descend. He spread a net from my feet. He turned me back. He has left me stunned, faint all the day long. My transgressions were bound into a yoke. By his hand they were fastened together. They were set upon my neck. He caused my strength to fail. The Lord gave me into the hands of those whom I cannot withstand. The Lord rejected all my mighty men in my midst. He stumbled an assembly against me to crush my young men. The Lord has trodden, as in a winepress, the virgin daughter of Judah. For these things I weep. My eyes flow with tears. For a comforter is far from me, one to revive my spirit. My children are desolate, for the enemy has prevailed. Zion stretches out her hands, but there is none to comfort her. The Lord has commanded against Jacob that his neighbors should be his foes. Jerusalem has become a filthy thing among them. The Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against his word. But hear all you peoples and see my suffering. My young women and my young men have gone into captivity. I called to my lovers, but they deceived me. My priests and elders perished in the city while they sought food to revive their strength. Look, O oh Lord, for I am in distress. My stomach churned. My heart is wrong within me because I have been very rebellious. In the street, the sword bereaves. In the house, it is like death. They heard my groaning. Yet there is no one to comfort me. All my enemies have heard of my trouble. They are glad that you have done it. You have brought the day you announced. Now let them be as I am. Let all their evil doing come before you and deal with them as you have dealt with me because of all my transgressions. For my groans are many and my heart is faint. There's so much here. We can't dive into all the details this morning. I just want to walk you through four themes that show up in this funeral message to the people of Israel. Four themes in chapter one. The first one is the haunting situation of Lamentations. The haunting situation. Where were you on September 11th, 2001? Where were you on the morning of 9-11? This is the closest thing that I can think of that will help us transport ourselves out of America and into exile in Babylon with the people of Israel. I remember where I was. I was in study hall. And someone came and whispered in the teacher's ear, and she about collapsed in her desk, and they turned the TV on, and for the rest of the school day, we watched as the towers fell. I remember, that was a Tuesday, and everyone in my city went to church on Wednesday. Everyone. It did not matter if you went to church. You went to church on Wednesday, September 12th. And the pews were packed as people cried out in lamentation, "How did this happen?" Even friend, if you were too young to remember that day, or you weren't born yet, September 11, 2001, you have been taught to remember that day. And every anniversary, we look back like the Book of Lamentations and ask, "How did this happen?" What's taking place in the life of Israel isn't a personal tragedy. This isn't a personal lamentation. This is a national tragedy where the entire nation watches the news and asks the question, how did we get here? Verse 3 sums it all up. Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and hard servitude. The superpower Babylon has invaded Israel. They have killed as many people as they could, and they have enslaved the rest. They have taken all of the treasures and made it theirs. They have burned the place to the ground. Even the temple, the sanctuary, all of it is gone, and they leave the city of Jerusalem in rubble. Maybe you picked up on it as I read. Lamentations is not a history textbook. It's not asking if if you know all the dates and the times of the invasion of Babylon. The book of Lamentations is a blues song. Asking if you feel their pain. Friends, this isn't a college course on slavery in America and the civil rights movement. This is Mahalia Jackson singing, His Eye is on the Sparrow. This isn't reading the transcript of Dr. Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream. This is visiting the balcony at the Lorraine Motel in Memphis. Lamentations wants you to feel the pain. Verse 12 is calling out to you and me. Is it nothing to you, all who pass by? look and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow. And like good blues music does, this song paints total devastation in a couple of different ways. Beyond being funeral sermons, four out of five chapters are acrostics. What that means is every line of the Song starts with the next letter of the alphabet. So the first verse starts with A in Hebrew. The second verse starts with B, and it goes on and on and on. And what the prophet is doing is saying, we are suffering from A to Z. Our pain, our turmoil covers every base. That's why in this chapter, 16 times, the writer uses the word all. Because this suffering, this sorrow is complete. You can't add a drop of pain to this song. Paul House writes, Every problem that the people of God face is stated in terms of totality. The people face total oppression by enemies, total loss of property, total loss of spiritual activity total loss of leaders total lack of sympathy from their allies total surrender of prestige and dignity dignity all weaknesses have been exposed and all hope for avoiding catastrophe has been dashed in other words it's all gone it's all over and all they can do now is cry. And the hardest part of it all is when they look at how things are right this minute and then they think about how things used to be. Look at verse 7. Jerusalem remembers in the days of her affliction and wondering all the precious things that were hers from days of old. Someone once said that memory is a bitter herb and maybe the only thing that's worse than their present pain is the memory of their past glory. Thinking about how things used to be. Friends, how many of us are there? Whether it's with our nation, whether it's with our communities, whether it's with our church, whether it's with our family, half of the sorrow comes from us looking back and thinking, what happened? Well, what moves us from the haunting situation is the burning question. The burning question of lamentations can be summed up with the first word of the first verse. How? An interesting note is in the original language, that's the title of the book. This book's not called Lamentations. This book is called How. It is a cry of baffled pain. It is a cry of confused protest. The people of God are waking up as slaves in a foreign country, remembering life back at home, and they cry out, how could this happen? How did it get to this point? How can we survive in Babylon? How will my children grow up in a pagan country? How can God just sit and let this go? Now, you may never know what it's like to wake up in Babylon like that, but I bet some of us know what it feels like to ask questions like that. I'm going to go out on a limb and, and guess that maybe some of us are even asking that right now when we go to bed at night. not much, but can I give you a small bit of good news? God is big enough to handle your how. You are allowed to cry. You are allowed some baffled pain. You can take all of it with full force to God, and he can take it. And we know this because God even allows these cries to be placed into the Bible to teach us what it's like to live by faith. If that baffled pain was a problem and you shouldn't go there, why would this book even exist? But it goes beyond this book. Listen to the Psalms. Psalm 6-3, my soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Psalm 13 verse 1, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Psalm 82 verse 2, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? May I ask you a question? Have you ever prayed like that? Or do you just dress up your prayers to sound super spiritual So lovely, so honoring. Or have you ever just busted out with something like that? On the floor, in your tears, crying out to God, saying, how long are you going to be like this, God? When are you going to come through on your word? And maybe the most helpful book on this subject, I brought it with me, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. Go find this on Amazon, you can get it. Goes not only through Lamentations but many other things in the Bible. The author, Mark Rogop, talks about his story when his wife and he lost one of their children and how they experienced the pain of how and how God brought them through that. Mark writes, Lament is the honest cry of a hurting heart, wrestling between the gap. Of pain and promise. Friends, it's okay if you're stuck between pain and promise to let it out. It's okay to go to God and lament. And friends, in our culture, in our society, in our church life, we tell everyone that you got to have a smile on your face, say God is good all the time, and all the time God is good, And we forget it's okay to lament. It's okay to have a burning question. Friend, ask your burning question. But I'm here to tell you, and this book is here to tell you, to brace yourself because God might answer. The third theme we see in this chapter are the sobering answers that God provides. It is a two-sided coin. Stick with me through both of them, please the first answer you will see in this chapter is that God did this to us. God did this to us. I'm going to scan through some verses. If you still have the text open, I'd invite you to follow me. Make sure I'm not making this up. But it starts in verse 5. Her foes have become the head. Her enemies prosper. Why? Because the Lord has afflicted her the Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. If you go to verse 12 in the middle there, towards the end, it tells you that the Lord inflicted this sorrow on the day of his fierce anger. In verse 13, he is the one who spread a net. He is the one who turned me back. He is the one who left me stunned. In verse 14, God is the one who caused my strength to fail. God gave me into their hands. Verse 15, it is the Lord who rejected our mighty men and summoned the assembly against me. In verse 17, the Lord has commanded against Jacob. And in verse 21, the writer admits, you, O Lord, have done it. So who did all these things? God did. Now, if this clashes with your view about God, I need you to hear me. It is important for you to be willing to line up your ideas with God's Word. God is good all the time, but God is God all the time. And all the time, God is God. He is God on the good days. He is God on the bad days. He is God when you want to write a book of celebration, and He is God when you want to write a book of lamentation. He does not change. Isaiah 45, verse 7, God says, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. But that's only one side of the coin. The writer is equally willing to share with us, not only did God do this, but the second answer is, we did. We did this. To ourselves, Go back to verse 5. Her foes have become the head. Her enemies prosper. Why? Because the Lord has afflicted her. Why? For the multitude of her transgressions. Look at verse 8. Jerusalem sinned grievously. Therefore she became filthy. In verse 19, Israel admits, I called to my lovers, but they deceived me. If you want to study the context of what happened here with Babylon, you can go look in 2 Kings. God specifically names King Manasseh as the guilty party. Let me just tell you what happened with King Manasseh. The leader of God's people, the leader of Israel, this man, this king, filled God's temple with pagan gods. He didn't think the temple of God was enough, so he went and collected other gods and brought them into the temple to worship them instead of the God of Israel. Then he worshiped stars and angels. And instead of prayer and and going to God and lament, he used fortune tellers and necromancers to, to commune with the dead and figure out where he should go. And if that was not enough, the leader of the people of God took his son and threw him into a burning pit as a burning sacrifice to these false gods. And in 2 Kings 21 verse 9, the writer tells us that this king Manasseh led them astray to do more evil than the nations had done whom the Lord destroyed. The writer says Israel was the most wicked nation that had ever existed. Now you come to us. Friends, I think this is why we like the book of Job and we never study Lamentations. You heard the story of Job. Job was a righteous man and all of the suffering happened in his life. And they're asking the same question, how did this happen? And the answer that time is, well, it's not because you're guilty. Job was an innocent man who suffered anyway. But in the book of Lamentations, it's a nation who's guilty. It's a nation that deserves it. As Philip Riken writes, the book of Lamentations is one long illustration of the principle that man reaps what he sows. Let me just put it bluntly. Those questions we are asking, how did it get here as a nation? How did it get here as a church? How did it get here with my family? How did it get here with my life? Biblically, God did this. Biblically, we did this. Now, I want you to hear me if, if you're If you're like really frustrated with that, I want you to hear me in this, please. Not every problem in your life happens because you did something wrong. I want to say that again just so that no one misunderstands. Not every problem in your life happens because you did something wrong, but every problem in our life happens because humanity did something wrong. Sin, that's the biblical term for it. Messed everything up. When we rebelled against God, it unleashed Pandora's box and all the evils that we experience in this life. And what Lamentations forces us to do in our personal lives is to humbly ask, Did my own sin contribute to any of it? Friend, in your family, in the struggles that you're going through, in your workplace, in your community, in this church, We must ask ourselves, did I do anything to add to this toxic mix? Is there something for which that I am held accountable? Have you even considered that? Friend, hear me. I don't know the answer for you in your situation. It could be that you're Job and that someone has wrongfully sinned against you. God's still in control. But friend, maybe what we need to do as a people is ask less, how did God let this happen? And ask more, how did we? How did we let it get this far? And even in the face of the truth, we can turn to God. The fourth theme I want to show you this morning, the last theme I want to show you this morning, is the daring prayer. In the midst of this haunting situation, this guilty nation dares to pray, dares to go to God, even though they don't deserve to. Verse 9, it starts, O Lord, behold my affliction. Verse 11, end of the verse, look, O Lord, and see, for I am despised. In verse 20, look, O Lord, for I am in distress. You recognize how audacious this is? Israel knows, they've admitted, that God sent them into Babylon because they sinned, because they're guilty, and yet they decide we're going to go to God and bring him our pain anyway because he's the one who can save. That's why Leslie Allen calls prayer the most important surprise. Now notice in this prayer, there's honest confession. Look at verse 18, most important verse of the chapter. The Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against his word. The word confession has a lot of baggage today. You may think that confession means you need to go to a priest and share all of your sins so that you can earn a little bit of grace from God. That's not what confession actually means. The word confession literally means to agree with God. It's to say, verse 18, God, you're right. When you call my lies lies, that's true. When you call my hate hate, you're right. When you call the things I say and the things I do sin, you're not wrong about me, God. God has not been unfaithful to Israel. He didn't break his word. Even at the end of the exile, when God returns the people out of slavery in Babylon back to Israel, Nehemiah is able to say this in Nehemiah 9, verse 33. Yet God, you have been righteous in all that has come upon us. He's confessing, you're right. I agree with you, God, for you have dealt faithfully and we have acted wickedly. There's honesty with God. There's also honest requests. They're daring requests. Consider the end of verse 21 to 22. The writer says, All my enemies have heard of my trouble. They are glad that you have done it. You have brought the day you announced. Now, let them be as I am. Let all their evil doing come before you and deal with them as you have dealt with me because of all my transgressions. Again, have you ever prayed like that? God, you've taken me out. You've humbled me in my sin. go, Go look at them. Do that to them too. All this song is doing is asking God to be fair. Israel doesn't deserve it. Israel shouldn't expect to be heard, but she dares to ask for another day. She asked God to change her circumstances. Friend, have you taken this step? In the midst of your sorrow, have you dared to believe and pray? In the midst of our pain, it's easy to kind of pull up our bootstraps and think that I just got to man up and handle it. I've got to fix the situation. And forget the Lord who's in control of everything. The God who's given us so much. That's why Mark Rogop says that giving God, listen to this, giving God the silent treatment is the ultimate sign of unbelief. And prayerful lament, prayerful complaining, prayerful tears is better to God than silence. He'd rather you just cry on his shoulder than ignore him. He'd rather you let it all out than pretend he doesn't exist. Just start there. Now you'll notice Lamentations 1 ends unresolved. There's still four more chapters. The prophet doesn't offer easy answers. He doesn't throw a bumper sticker at the end of Lamentations 1 and say, it's going to be better. And you know what? That's real. Because a lot of people walked in this room today with real life. And even though we've heard from the Lord and we've sang to God, you're going to leave and guess what? You still got real life to go to. And I could offer a lot of verses and tell you it's all going to be good and everything will work out. But you know what? It's okay if you end like if you leave like Lamentations chapter one ends. It's okay if you're not even sure that that's true. Look at how verse 22 ends, chapter one. After all that, the writer says, "My groans are many, and my heart is faint." Friends, sometimes we come to church and we just want to leave with a heart full. And it's awesome when it happens. But friends, it's okay if you leave with your heart faint. Trust him enough to give him your own lamentation. Trust him enough to remind you of who he is and what he's done, even in the midst of your sorrow. But can I remind you? He sent his son, Jesus, into the world of lamentation. Jesus Christ left the glory of heaven to enter into this broken world. He became a man of sorrows. He was defined by lamentations and acquainted with grief. Even though, like Job, he was innocent. He never sinned. He never committed a single crime, and yet he was hung on the cross. And when he did, did you know he sang a lamentation? On the cross, he's saying, Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, how could that happen? How could the king that came after David, how could the promise of Abraham be put on the cross, even though he was innocent and crushed as if he were a sinner? Because God did that and because we did And the good news of the gospel is that three days later, God rose Jesus from the grave because he is the one who takes our lamentations and turns them into victory. He is the one who will wipe every tear from our eyes and give us a heart of gladness and joy. 1 John 1.9, brothers and sisters, listen, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And friend, I'm not telling you that every problem in your life will instantly go away if you follow Christ. But I will promise that He's faithful and He will hold true to His word and He will make everything right in the end. And if you turn from your sin and put your trust in Jesus Christ alone, His life and His death and His resurrection. God will give you His Spirit and make you His child. And even if you live in this world as an exile, God will rescue you too. But even then, we will live in a real world with real pain and some things will be left unresolved. Brothers and sisters, while we wait, bring all your howls to God. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 to 7. If you belong to him, this is your word. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Friend, even at a funeral, when you belong to the people of God, The good news is death is not the last word. Lamentations doesn't have the last laugh. While we wait on God's promise, lament, go to him and trust him. He will act in his time, in his way, for his name. Believe that. Let's pray.